Welcome to another episode of Chapter Chat. My good friend Mike from At Grow Now Therapy and I are going to spend some time tonight uh, talking about a chapter from our current book club selection. So as soon as Mike joins us, we will go ahead and get started. Let's see here. Hope you're all doing well. It's Monday. Mike and I actually really like Mondays now because we so enjoy doing these chapter chats. Ah, there he is. Okay, here we go. Excellent. There's my friend Sherry. Hello, Sherry. Welcome. There he is. Here we are. How's it going? Back on Mondays. Back on Mondays. We were just here. Just We did Thursday night last week because we had a little scheduling conflict. So mm -hmm. uh, we've seen each other fairly recently. So it's good. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we wrapped up uh, that long chapter last week. Mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, no, we did the college one last week. We did, yeah. We did three weeks on chapter four. Then last week we kind of buzzed through chapter five and talked about college. It was about college and it was hard. Last week was, was a hard one. If you are new to chapter chat, um, first of all, let me just remind everybody the book we're reading. It's called Most Likely to Succeed, Preparing Our Kids for the Innovation Era. And it is by Tony Wagner and Ted Dintersmith. So the whole premise of chapter chat is that because everybody's so busy, Mike and I read a chapter each week and we discuss the highlights from it as well as give our own two cents worth. And that way you as uh, followers, listeners of the book club, you don't have to actually read the chapter. So I know some yep. of you do follow along and read along with us. And um, that's great if you have the time. Uh, but this was just kind of an idea Mike and I came up with a few months ago and decided we were going to try it. So here That's we are. right. And when Carrie says we discuss it, we discuss it. Oh, Down yeah. to the fun, most finest, finest details. That's right. That's so right. So on, uh, on Saturday, I had my, uh, my speech retreat. Oh, I got the speech retreat that? mug here. Yeah. It was awesome. So, of course, me with my executive functioning, um, I look at the calendar. I knew I, pre I was presenting at 3 p.m. Okay. So in the morning, I look at the calendar and I go, wait a second. It says my presentation is a half hour. And I, my, I had like 60 slides, like ready to go. <laughs> like, like this ADHD presentation is right. actually hours and hours and hours. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I, and had, I had to go in and delete a bunch of slides. <laughs> and it was still so much. So yeah. like, I, like I went through it and I was like, how much time do we have? And I was speaking as fast as I could. Yep. But it yep. was just, it's, it's just, it's, it's a topic that I just love to talk about. Yep. It's my favorite thing especially presenting to speech and language pathologists yeah and showing them yes you can treat executive functioning so yes. just like just like our, my friend Callie Knight here who is a who is gonna she's gonna join us one of these nights oh good that'll be fun she that'll is be just, fun. she is just so amazing with all the work she does she she inspires me she's great oh that's and great. uh I remember all these months ago she saw my posts and she said hey I have a lot of executive functioning students and she literally gave me a call uh -huh. And I think I think we were on the phone for like over an hour just, talk, <laughs> just talking about executive functioning and ways it. that she can do it. And she she took the initiative to do that. She worked in a school to take all that information and use it for her students. That's and then great. that's pretty much how I approached speech retreat. Uh -huh. Still, a lot of SLPs think no, that's not really in our scope of practice. That's for the uh -huh. school psychologist. Right. It's for, it's for occupational therapy. Mm -hmm. But the whole point of this presentation was to show, no, there is a connection between executive Absolutely. function and language. Absolutely. And that's exactly what it is. And, and, and when I hear about 
SLPs who are confident in treating EF, I love it. Yeah, it's great. It's great. So yes, you and I both have the same issue. You um, had too many slides. I did a, I guess, lecture today online for Florida State University to second year grad students in their speech pathology program and was supposed to do an hour on apraxia and I can't talk about apraxia. So I, two <laughs> hours later, I'm like, I really need to wrap this up. So um, they yep. were grateful though. They have a three hour online class. So um, it, it's not like I went into it. They were happy. It was just, you know, more time to sit and listen. But yeah, uh, Mike and I have a lot of words that we can say. And I always a say lot of we, are, we are in the right business because I get paid to talk. And that's so right. Mike. So we are in that's the right, right. right profession. Mike, before we get started, I have to show you my Thanksgiving shirt came in the mail. I'm a big, uh, I, I just love like, I don't know, shirts that, that make you laugh. So here's my Thanksgiving day shirt. Can you see it? It's leg day. It's there leg you go. day. Isn't that I perfect? Like it. So I I'm like very it. excited about uh, my Thanksgiving shirt for this year. And um, so, yeah, we, um, I don't know, we're going to go ahead and jump right in. We are two chapters away from being done with this book. So we are on chapter seven, right? Six, six, chapter six, chapter six. Chapter six. Let me find That's my right. little bookmark. Yes. Chapter six. And this chapter is called teaching, learning and assessing. And this was an amazing chapter. It was actually really good. Um, so good. It was good. So yeah, where do we start? Um, in case you're new to Chapter Chat, and I would love it if you would let us know if this is your first time joining. Um, just maybe put like first time or something like that. It's always yeah. Uh, fun and let us Mike know. And let us know where you guys are from. That's like oh a, yeah. One I of the really best things. That. One of the best things about the podcast is we can see exactly where the unique download was and uh -huh. where where uh -huh. you are. And we can see Chapter Chat's really becoming an international sensation. It's pretty kinda, fun. Kind of like the Beatles. I, I, we're basically, oh, there we're basically, you go. We're basically the next Beatles, basically. Let's, let's I be love it. I yeah. love it so much. So, so if you guys here can just, just type in, you know, your name, where you're from, because all yep. I see are these fancy usernames. So, yep. Just, yep. you know, yep. first, first time, time from, from Boston. Boston. Right. Welcome. Welcome. Great. So, so, have, you, have you been to Boston, Carrie? I have presented in Boston. I have presented in every major city um, in the United States. Um, the only two states I have not well, continental United States. I've never presented in, in uh, Alaska. I've never presented in Montana or Idaho. Those are the only two states. Otherwise, I have been in pretty much every major you city. Pre you, you presented in Philly? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, when yeah. was this? Oh, I've been presenting for 11 years. I couldn't even tell you. I <laughs> I've been doing it for so long. I just travel around the, around the country. That's all I do. So, yeah. We got yeah. some Canadians here, New oh, Jersey. I love, I love it. I'm doing Jersey an online Shore. presentation. Love, love the Jersey Shore. I'm a big Jersey I love Shore it. guy. Yes. I am doing an online presentation for some, uh, for British Columbia. Uh, I, I think it is um, in a couple weeks. So, okay. British so Columbia. In, yeah. Okay. Be fun. Right. So in case you are new to Chapter Chat, uh, we really are passionate about discussing education reform. And uh, Mike and I are... <laughs> Um, we don't hold back any punches about what we think about our current education system. Um, I mean, there are definite changes that need to be made, and we both agree that they need to start in early childhood uh, because uh, of great inflation. Um, unfortunately, our little preschoolers are sitting around doing worksheets and doing calendar time and, uh, you know, rote memorizing uh, letters, numbers, shapes, and colors. I wish, I wish we could show that video that you should. Oh, you I wish me. I knew how to do it. Cause, so go to either – I put it – I put the reel on my Instagram stories uh i just shared it so please go watch the lady um the spoof of the lady doing circle time <laughs> with preschoolers yep. it is yep. by far 
the best thing I've seen on the internet in months. I can't even tell you because it is spot on. So please yeah. go to my stories and watch that reel. Um, because I've been saying forever, what, why in the world are we doing calendar time with two and three year olds? You have to understand the passing of time before calendar time makes any sense. And this lady just nails it in the funniest nails way it. you nails can imagine. It. And I think that's going to be a theme tonight. Yeah, of, I think it is. Of I think what's of what's being taught, what's being done yep. versus what is the brain capable of. Yep, absolutely. So the what I've been trying to get at, and I just keep getting so tangential here, is our current education system originated in 1893. Should I say that year again? Not 1993, 1893. So for over a century, we've had what Mike calls, Mike, tell us what you call it. They have a different term for it in here. I call it the lecture-listen model. The lecture-listen model. Which mm -hmm. is basically, basically, it's the lecture-listen-sit-still model. Mm -hmm. So that's yep. basically what we're expecting kids to do is there's a lecture, lots and lots of talking. They have to use their receptive language, their auditory comprehension, yep. suck it all in while sitting still and taking furious notes. Yep. And I think uh, Wagner and Dinter Smith feel exactly the same way I do yep. uh, about the lecture listen model. Yeah, um, there's another term in here and I'm gonna find it eventually, but I love this on page uh, 196. They call it, um, we're perpetuating, perpetuating the information dispensing model of teaching. Information dispensing model of teaching. So that's a really good way uh, to think about this. Uh, and one of the issues that we have in general with this current model is that um, our smartphones have more information that are available at our fingertips. So there's really no need to rote memorize information. Uh, back in 1893, when the lecture listen model uh, started, this whole uh, kind of model, the teacher was the only person who had the knowledge. They were the only people who had the information. There weren't diction. I mean, there weren't encyclopedias. There was no internet. And so pretty much uh, the, the children had to sit and the teacher would lecture at them and they had to rote memorize everything and regurgitate it on a test. And that's how they measured um, learning. Uh, on page 192 and 193, you guys, there was a study that was done, and I, I even had to share this with my husband because this just slayed me. They put monitors um, to measure brain activity on uh, a particular student volunteer, okay? And yep. they found peaks of activity, and they found troughs of pass passivity, of course. Most people assume that the near comatose pattern comes at night when the student is sleeping. But we know that is absolutely not true uh, when you're sleeping is actually when everything that you've learned during the day is actually being uh, uh, processed and retained. But what's so fascinating is it said the student's brain is in its most dormant state during lectures. So when a teacher was talking, blah, 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 that's when the students' minds went basically numb and there was very little brain activity. So what do you think about that, Mike? Near comatose <laughs> pattern. Near comatose. Yep. So this chapter basically opened by him saying, by the author stating, the teacher is the subject matter expert who presents material to students taking copious notes. Yep. Homework assignments foreshadow tests. Students rarely interact with one another. Yep. Collab There's rarely any collaboration with classmates, certainly on tests, because that's cheating. Right. <laughs> and the yep. teacher may pause from time to time to ask students questions, which are typically right or wrong answers without critical thinking allowance. Right. So right. that's so this entire, you know, we all know as SLPs, we've all interacted with parents that will do whatever they can to go after the school system mm -hmm. and, and say, 
you know, uh, the IEP team's not right. The case manager's mm -hmm. not right. This teacher's wrong. This is wrong. Well, it's the entire system. Yeah. It's this yeah. entire system of lecture. Listen, there's a reason why your son or daughter is not taking in this information and yep. being able to utilize it. They're taking it. And there's only so much a young child's working memory, a, a right. very barely developed frontal lobe of their brain, yep. especially living in this instant gratification world. So it's, it's really, it, it's this lecture model. And they, these authors did such an incredible job describing why lecturing it made sense back in 1893, right? But and they even back in uh, in 1893 on page 192, students compared their <laughs> yes, teacher's lecture it. to a church sermon. Yep. And the 1920 students in the 1920s contrasted their school experience to gathering around the radio, listening to a static-filled broadcast of the, an orchestra. Mm -hmm. And in eight and in the 1950s, they said student lectures are like watching Leave It to Beaver. And then these authors brilliantly said, why are students still sitting in the classroom listening to a teacher who's just lecturing the whole time mm -hmm. when there's TED Talks and mm -hmm. there's Masterclass and right. there's uh, whatever it is, all these amazing things where worldwide right. experts are lecturing, right. but they're listening to these teachers who are just barking information at them. Right, common core information, not common anything the core. students are interested in. So yep. I love on page 192, it says, today's kids live and breathe riveting content. Wouldn't you agree with that? Between oh, that, that, YouTube videos and, um, you know, sci-fi movies and everything. Right yeah, so they're living and breathing riveting content. So I love how it says, a teacher who can hold the attention of students for a class period, let alone a school year, is performing a minor miracle is that not the truth i mean this is a huge issue is sitting oh here it is the lecture-based education that's what they call it okay yep. the real question is whether any form of lecture-based education makes sense in today's world and the evidence says it does not because memorizing facts memorizing dates memorizing formulas is no longer required to be um, a, a functional member of society because we have all the information and formulas readily accessible um, at our fingertips because we all carry smartphones with us. So we live in the innovation era, which is why I love the title of this book, Preparing Our Kids for the Innovation Era. But our education system, I mean, the DMV has upgraded their uh, requirements. Like they don't still make you learn how to, you know, crank shift a Model T to get a, a driver's license. But yet our education system is still stuck in the 1890s, still using that same old lecture listen model instead of teaching critical executive function skills that focus on teaching critical analysis, uh, being able to collaborate with others. Uh, the main thing today is not to memorize information. The main thing we need to be teaching students today is how to analyze exactly. cr critical information. We need to be able to analyze it because everything on the internet isn't necessarily true. So why aren't we teaching kids how to critically analyze? We need to teach them how to think, okay, not what to think. And that is the biggest difference in, in education is in the 1890s, we had to teach kids what to think because there was nowhere else to get information, right? Um, somewhere in this, in this chapter, I just literally laughed out loud because they said the carrier pigeon. Um, yes, in 1893, yes. this lecture model made perfect sense. Students had no other option for acquiring information. Books and libraries were scarce, and the carrier pigeon was still used to transfer important information. So teachers were the definitive source of content. 
Are we all in agreement that we live in a different era? We live in the information age. Yep. So education needs to be upgraded. It needs to be adapted. And in this chapter, they start talking about teaching, learning, and assessing. So where should we go next, Mike? Because this chapter is full of great information. Well, you're talking about how teaching and education needs to be upgraded. The crazy thing is, is that it hasn't been upgraded since the Ever. early 1800s. It's never been upgraded. That's Our current system. Everything yeah. in the world has changed. Everything except for education. It's yep. fascinating. And uh, so basically, they were talking to Khan, the creator of Khan Academy. Oh, yes. Uh, and what he said absolutely blew my mind. Mm -hmm. Let me find. So he basically said that. Is it on 193? On 194, the top oh, of 194. Okay. He says that lecture, the lecture listen model, is a monumental waste yeah. of time that is basically like having students watch the home shopping network. Yep. Yep. And then he goes on in his book to describe the ideal education setting. So think about this. All you school SLPs, you parents out there, imagine if you had a school that looked like this. Students who were collaboratively doing market simulations to learn economics, working in teams to design robots or develop smartphone apps, working on designs to improve energy efficiency, or working creatively on art, music, or writing projects. Yep. Yep. So what I, and I made, uh, I wrote a sentence up here because this just reminds me of, it's a quote that a teacher said, and I don't, I don't have her name um, off the top of my head, but she said, learning can only happen when a child is interested. If a child's not interested, it's like throwing marshmallows at his head and calling it eating. Mm. Now I want y'all to think about that for a minute, because what we do every day at school is throw knowledge at kids' heads and we call it learning. Right. I'm going to. Well, I taught him. I taught him. I taught him information. Well, but if it's not relevant, if it's not meaningful, if um, it's not if all they're doing is rote memorizing, but they're not actually learning it and then using it, generalizing it and using it in their everyday life, then what's the point of education? And I think that's where Mike and I we've talked about this a lot. I think we're confused about what the purpose of education is. Because the purpose is no longer, uh, you know, um, to, to prepare students for working in factories, you know, which is how yep. it originally was. They didn't want creative thinkers. They wanted people who could do mundane tasks hour after hour. They wanted people to not question authority. They wanted people to just follow directions, to not make mistakes. That's why, you know, um, like not making mistakes in spelling was so important. Today we have spell check. You know what I mean? Like we have Grammarly. Like, you know, everything is different now. And so... But yet we're still teaching the exact same skills in the exact same way that we did in the 1890s and in the early 1900s. So we always talk about how smartphones now, students having smartphones now, replaces their need to know certain things. Mm -hmm. I was with a student this morning, or not this morning, this afternoon, a couple mm -hmm. of hours before, in my clinic. And he logs on to his Surface Pro tablet that his school gives him with everything. He logs on to this app called Schoology. I don't uh -huh. know if you guys- We have yeah, that. Sure. Yep. yep, we have Schoology that. Schoology logs right in. And he says, oh, oh no, I have, uh, I have chemistry homework. I had no idea I had chemistry homework. Okay. Within, within a minute, he texts his friends and says, uh, uh, oh, we have chemistry homework. What is it? Uh-huh. The kid, his friend writes back a texted picture of the completed homework and he just copied the homework. So th and and that got me thinking like when I was a when I was a, a kid we couldn't do that 
I, I would have to ride my bike to my friend's house, copy right. the homework, and then ride back. <laughs> now with too phones, much work. Right. they can literally screenshot the homework, put it in an email, send it to them, text it to them. And so and, what has been learned? What has exactly, been learned? And exactly. what, what executive function skills? Am I supposed to get mad skills, at him for doing that? Yeah. And what executive function skills, though, did he, because he didn't write the assignment down. He didn't even know it was there. And it's just this little machine is just telling him now, oh, by the way, you have homework. So he doesn't have to remember anything. He nope. doesn't have to worry about nope. planning and organizing his life, his evening, uh, making sure that his, um, you know, non-preferred activities get done, yep. things like that. Because we're and not. And if he didn't, if he didn't get that text from his friend, he would have Googled all the answers. Right. Because so, why not? So why not? If anything, so my, if anything, he has more free time now. That's right. So look at page 194 because they talk about innovations in teaching. And this literally makes me laugh out loud because what we say is that, oh, oh gosh, no, our, our schools, they're, they're so good with technology now um, because we have smart boards and iPads and we can do virtual learning. We have online classes. So we are on the cutting edge. And I just, I, these authors just, they slay me. These advances prompt some people to predict that it's just a matter of time between, before teachers are obsolete. But these, quote, innovations are all variants of ineffective passive education. I mean, and I just couldn't agree with this more. We somehow think that because they're sitting in front of a screen that we, you know, we now are somehow doing better because I, I and I know I've, I've talked about this before, but during the pandemic, when my son was doing virtual learning a hundred percent of the time. And so my, I work from home. This is my home office. I had Aaron's school, um, you know, a, a desk sitting right outside my office so I could kind of hear what he was doing and he could tell me if he needed help. And the majority of the time he was given um, a video to watch on YouTube for the science lesson or the social studies lesson and he would watch this video and then there would be these fill in the blank questions where he would just go back and watch the video fill it in and do and that's all it was hour after hour the teachers weren't even teaching they were sending him to youtube to watch some other teacher with an australian accent um, talk to him about uh whatever the lesson was so just because we have high tech we all of a sudden think we're somehow doing better in education it's the same ineffective passive lecture listen model except now students can look up the answers i mean they don't even have to you know memorize them like they used to now they just can look them up and you know um so i and th um, think think of all the money that they, they talk about smart boards here do you know how much money oh it's a racket uh, how much of your tax dollars are going towards can you imagine smart board? how much we could give a raise to teachers if we didn't have to put smart boards and if we didn't have to give every single student an iPad or a Chromebook or a Surface And we Pro. can build community partnerships. Every uh, public school needs community partnerships. Absolutely. Increase the field trips. In, increase recess yep. time. Yep. Get yep. out there. It's ridiculous yep. that kids can live in one town yep. their entire lives and not have these community partnerships. Yep. They go to elementary, oh. middle, and high school in the same town. Every yep. middle school and high school needs to have the opportunity for their students to go do some work in the grocery store. That's right. Go do That's some right. work in the local hardware store. Go, That's right. Uh, you know, go to the post office. Do things there. You they know, I have, have to, to tell go you and get hands-on knowledge. Yes, yes. So across the street from my mom, um, she lives about two miles from us, and there has been, as long as she's lived there, there's been an empty lot. And in this empty lot, um, I guess it was the neighbor, you know, the people across the way or whatever owned it. And somebody passed away. Well, anyway, so now they're building a house on this empty lot. And it has been my son. I mean, me and my mom have loved it too, watching this house be built. First, they had to dig the basement. And then they had to pour all the concrete. And we sit over on her front porch for hours and just watch. And Aaron is just mesmerized with these huge cranes and, you know, putting on the trusses. And 
oh my gosh, it has been so fascinating. And so that is exactly what I keep thinking is why, you know, why are our students sitting indoors? So on page 196, I, I have more notes. It says online slash virtual learning. So they say um, this whole idea of um, uh, having kids learn online. Kids who learn little from lectures in the classroom can learn just as little watching online lectures from their home. Is this not the hugest thing? I mean, we just keep thinking we're advancing. Oh, our education is so advanced. You guys, it's the same lecture, listen model. Nothing has changed, okay? So, I, and I wrote notes down here. We're using technology to deliver the same information. But because we're using technology, we have society um, kind of spoofed into thinking it's really good. We're yep. doing really good, right? I, I don't even know. I, I just, I, I'm just at such a loss because every book we read, it comes back to we're focusing on the wrong things, right? So on page 197, I have in big letters, purpose of education. So, um, oh, this is good. This is a good page. If you only read <laughs> one page of this chapter, gosh, I have so many oh, things yeah. underlined. Page 197. Um, huh. Yeah, that this first is... that first paragraph. Uh, visualize a student you know. Yeah. So everyone, all of you right now, every single person out there, I saw my friend. I saw my friend's speech dudes out there. Yes, tonight. I saw him join. Great, great person. Awesome guy. His wife Jesse Ginsburg oh. was also at speech yes. retreat. Yes. And she yes. is amazing. Yes. My goodness. So big shout out to to speech dude. Thanks yes. so much for coming. Yeah, appreciate awesome, it. Awesome dude. Uh, so visualize a student you know a child, relative, family, friend, or student, and picture her or him as an adult in a world where only the gifted and passionate have successful careers. The rest cobble together a living through part-time gigs, struggle to pay bills, hold off on having a family because of financial worries, never build savings, can't retire at age 65. Yep. Now, imagine a student with her own support team, resources that make her more productive than any adult was in 1980. With this productivity advantage, imagine what she can do. Start a nonprofit, invent new products, discover cures, create dazzling art, contribute to her community or employer in a myriad of ways. Yep, yep. Th and think about that. Yeah, it is. It's so compelling to think about this. Um, and so they go and on to today's talk motivated students can become experts, experts on yep. a topic in days, in days, not weeks or years. Yep. Because what can you do online? You can find the most compelling essays, lectures, videos, TED Talks, forums, anything you want. I mean, I even think about the students that I spoke to today at Florida State University. I'm an apraxia specialist. I travel around the country giving apraxia seminars. And for two hours, they got to hear information that had it, you know, that, that they normally wouldn't. Back in the day when I was in grad school, this yeah. wasn't a thing. In 1995, there was no such thing as the Internet yet, let alone having someone from a different state guest lecture, um, you know, on a topic that they are, are highly knowledgeable in. And so today, this is the thing. We live in the information era. Information is readily available. So what does that mean? It means century-old classroom tasks are obsolete, right? There's no reason for students to drill endlessly on things when, in the very best case, they'll be, quote, almost as good as a smartphone. Oh, wow. this is huge. Wow. Okay, so our education system needs to help kids accelerate their potential in the innovation era instead of holding them back. With well-designed pedagogy, we can empower kids with critical skills and help them turn, there's my favorite, Mike, passions 
into life advantages. So here it is. The one role, of the three Ps. Here it is. The role of education is no longer to teach content. I'm going to say it again. The role of education is no longer to teach content, but to help our children learn in a world that rewards the innovative and punishes the formulaic. I just, that's just so huge, right? So if we, if we go back to that first long chapter, the formative uh -huh. years, I think that's what it was, uh, where they list on page 141, Okay. they list the skills that are truly important. Yep. The very first oh, thing yes. they list, learning, learning how to learn. How to learn. Yep. Yep. Think about that. Yep. You can, how many students do you know that are graduating high school, going on to college simply because they had the content grades, right. but they never truly learned how to learn. And yep. you know, you know, you see their parents' anxiety, they may mm -hmm. not show it, but you know, they're going to have a really, really damn hard time in college. We had a follower, it was either on here or someone who posted on my page, I can't remember, but it was in regards to that chapter. And she said, I was a 4.0 and I went to college and couldn't after a year and a half, yep. I couldn't make it. I had to drop out. I had to live at home. I didn't have the executive function skills to make it on my own. But according to society, I was college ready, right? Because that's been what our government has really, their platform for education has been, is everybody college ready, every child college ready. And um, just go back and look at a couple of, of our posts from this past week. Um, uh, uh, we did a post on um, uh, the importance of uh, giving kids another alternative to college, right? Because last week in this book, we talked about the extremely ridiculous cost of getting an ineffective college education that often doesn't even get you a well-paying job, you know? So you're, you're $150,000 in debt living in your parents' basement because you're paying $1,500 a month in student loans, so you can't even afford to live on your own. On page 180, Mike, and this is, you just mentioned this, so for people who, if this is their first night, we talked about the three Ps last week because yes. the last chapter ended with the three Ps. Um, and they said, uh, basically, the path of education that we should be looking for um, in this chapter was um, about college. So they said, we really need to help students have a normal, healthy school experience with lots of time for play, passion, and purpose. So Mike and I, those are our three Ps now, play, passion, and purpose. And I just love how this chapter that we're in now continues to talk about why aren't we teaching to the students' strengths? to their talents, and to their interests. Why do we keep throwing marshmallows at their head and calling it eating? That, okay, yep. that's not what this is. We, every human being is wired so differently. And we all have um, different things that give us our brain tingles. And so we need to make sure that we are fostering that instead of using a common core where everybody learns the exact same thing in the exact same way so we can um, graduate a bunch of people who don't know how to learn right, who don't have the ability to critically think and to analyze and to problem solve and to negotiate and to compromise. Like, I mean, there are so many skills um, that are necessary. Um, look at page, I don't know, I just turned to this page, 201 at the top. It says, we need st students to hone a range of critical skills, forming independent opinions, critically evaluating the logic of others, communicating, collaborating, solving problems creatively, and synthesizing. Ooh, I want to see education reform that says this is our mission statement. Do you see this comment here? Do you see this comment here? Uh, common, you core over, common Core overrated? Oh, well, yeah, that if you right can't there, tell how I feel about Common Core. That yeah. right there is mm -hmm. one of my greatest students. That's one of my oh, students. Really? That's one of my high school. That's one of my high school students. You have Mr. a high Carp. school student on here right now? Mr. He's here right here. He's here Dude. right now supporting me. Mr. Carp, 
Dude, I'm so welcome. happy you're here. Welcome. Hey, Carp, how about one of these? We, we call him Carp. It's short for his last name. Okay. So obviously he won't say his, his, his real name. But uh, but please join us sometime oh, and let us let us know your I thoughts. I would love but it's that. So, thank you for coming and supporting me. Everyone follow my good friend, Jess Carp 101. I uh, but, love it. But that's, exa that's exactly what this is forming independent opinions yep. All, and and so the biggest thing the biggest thing that i presented on in my speech retreat executive functioning presentation the biggest thing that i think that i got the most messages about was the point that i'm talking about is executive functioning is mental play mm -hmm. play never stops right you're basically the childhood play expert i'm the adult play expert yep. or the teen yep. the teen play expert yes yes the play never stops it just looks different right when you're a kid well, it's goes manual from external, play. To, external internal. to internal that's mm -hmm. it play, all of these things forming independent opinions mental play critically evaluating logic mental play mm -hmm. collaborating solving problems synthesizing mm -hmm. right it's all mental play it's the ability to take in language language yep. is in our head we visualize it we verbalize it we picture it we have we hold the information and now we play with it right we decide do we agree we with manipulate this? it we, we manipulate it, it. Uh -huh. do we agree with this do we disagree right. with this can we use this information is it worth keeping do i hold right. on to it or do i let it go That's do i right. stay with it or do i need some time to you know right. you have to come up with a plan a you do these mental dress rehearsals right and you and you think about it and that's really what it is and all and the way school is we talk about this school was created for people to sit there and recopy bibles mm -hmm. that's exactly, that's exactly what, it what it was to, because to it was before the, the printing press mm -hmm. said, they basically wanted people that had their, their mouths sewn shut mm -hmm. and they just sit there and they just copy bibles and that's right. the same system we have now we want our kids to be quiet yep. we want them to sit in incredibly uncomfortable chairs we for want them to take long. it all day long. But stay regulated. Stay yeah. regulated with no play-based movement. Impossible. Yeah, yeah. Impossible. With the things then, we ask, yeah. And then the kid doesn't sit still. It affects the teacher. Mm -hmm. The teacher calls, calls home and says, your son is disruptive in class. Right. And then it starts fights at home. And yep. the kid starts to feel bad about themselves. Well, now the but kid I, thinks, I'm dumb. I'm, yep, I'm a bad I'm dumb. kid. I don't like school. Yep. I'm yep. not a I'm not good person. at school. I can't write. I'm not mm -hmm. good enough. And yep. that causes them to isolate even further even into screens further. because screens is something they can control. And yep. it's this back and forth process. Of it is. It kid, is. Kid, kid, kid can't sit still because it's not developmentally appropriate. Human Teacher, beings are not meant to sit still. Okay. No. None of us can no. do it. Yeah. You Especially don't get a smiley kids. face in your folder today. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. And I can tell you uh, as a parent of an autistic <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> child, oh, the notes I used to get home. I mean, they were, I mean, you, it was unbelievable. Assuming that everything my son was doing was intentional, that it was malicious instead oh of God. understanding his sensory needs, the fact that he was completely overwhelmed. Um, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you yeah. think, do you think school would have been different for him now as opposed to when he was a kid? Um, yeah, I do only because now autism, it, we're moving away from autism being considered such a tragedy. So Correct. I feel like, I mean, when my son first got diagnosed, he's 17 now when he first got diagnosed, I mean, the whole purpose was to try to make him not autistic. I mean, we were thinking vaccines did it. We were trying to do everything, change his diet, make him not autistic, change him. He's not good enough. He's, he's not, you know, where he needs to be. So we need to change him now, at least because of the neurodiversity movement, at least now yep. we have a few professionals who are starting to 
recognize that um, my son is not an optional member of society and my son is not broken and my son does not need to be fixed. We now are starting to understand that uh, uh, being autistic is a valid way of being human. It may yep. be different from your neurotypical experience, but it is still a valid um, way. And uh, we, uh, I've been saying this for years, um, that we still have a problem with people who have different colored skin in this country. So imagine how far we are away from accepting somebody who actually acts different, right? We can't even handle if you look different, let alone mm -hmm. if you act different. So we have work uh, to do big time. And um, it is something that I, if you can't tell, I'm quite passionate about. Wow. But, but my yeah. page 198, I just have to, this page is another one. I have almost the whole thing highlighted. We often ask educators. So now we're talking about learning, okay? Do you think your purpose is to teach students or to help them learn? And I had, to, I had to stop and think about that question because it seems like an odd question. And they said, we like to ask this even though we invariably get puzzled looks in return. So I was glad to read that because I was puzzled. I was like, what a strange question. They said, most educators think that teaching and helping students learn are synonymous. But as we shall see, they are often worlds apart. Today, almost all learning done by students in our schools is myth more than reality. It's all about short-term memorization with modest retention at best, okay? So um, it really made me recognize, and, and, and what I wrote um, underneath, because sometimes I just put my own notes in my books, is something we talk about almost every week is my little formula for learning. Language plus experience equals learning. Yes. So unfortunately, with the lecture-listen model, what are students getting all day long? Well, lots of language. Here you go. Here's the dates. Here's the information. Now write it down. Memorize it. Language, 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 language. But what are they never getting? Oh, gee, they're never getting any experience. They're never getting any opportunities to use their language to critically analyze, to collaborate, to problem solve, to come up yep. with new, anything new. I mean, heaven forbid, we don't even encourage innovation. And yet we live in the innovation era. I mean, it's incredible how, um, you know, how the world that we live in and the opportunities that are available. And yet we're still teaching students to wrote, memorize facts. Yeah. Like we did 120 and years that, ago. And that equation is always 100% true. It's language plus experience equals learning. Yep. You can't take the experience out of there. It's never language equals learning. No. And that's especially true no. during the period of language acquisition. If you take experience out of there and just language, language, and you're just talking at right. a kid, they're uh -huh. never going to be able to use that language appropriately and interact. That's and right. that's going to be someone with some social pragmatic needs. So well, and that's somebody who can label till the cows come home. As an early intervention provider, that's what I see. We have these yep. kids, and everybody yep. says, oh, he did great on the language test. I gave him a language test, and he scored in the average range. And I'm like, have you ever tried Ridiculous. to have a conversation with the kid? Because he can't, he can't have a conversation. And they're like, oh, no, but he's really smart. Well, the problem is when we only look at the ability to label, right, your ability to rote, memorize, and label, there's a lot of little kids who can label. Label, 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 label. Like that classic, uh, like that that EBT test. Oh, I cannot, I cannot. Expressive stand. vocabulary test. The one cannot, word expressive. That, that's, yes. That's the test where you're literally just like, what's this? Yeah. What's this? Yeah. What's this? And exactly. you're flipping. Yeah. And, and it gets to the point where it's the most ridiculous vocabulary. Exactly. Somebody just said, like, what is this? Somebody just said, oh, but he knows the word magenta. I have to tell you a funny story. Um, 
<laughs> I don't know. This is just, this just cracks me up. So um, I was doing an evaluation a while ago and it was with a little two-year-old and he had a shape sorter. And you know, in that one shape sorter where it looks like a box, you know, like a cube and there's different shapes on every side. And one of them looks like a moon, right? One of them looks like a half circle, but one of them looks like a moon. And so as he's putting that in, I just said moon. And he looked at me, he goes, crescent. And I was like, wait a minute, why does a two-year-old know the word crescent? And then he looked at another one and he went trapezoid octagon and like my jaw hits the floor because the kid doesn't say mama or dada or hi or bye he doesn't answer yes no questions but he knows trapezoid octagon crescent and i remember just sitting there and his mom goes see i don't know why the doctor recommended this evaluation because he's so smart see this goes back to and mike and i have spent weeks talking about the cognitive hypothesis, right? That in the late 1990s, um, we decided that making kids smart was the most important thing, that we need children to be smart, that if they're smart, then that means they're going to be successful in the world. And we now understand that we've been focusing on the wrong set of skills for far too long because we've been focusing on the academic skills that um, are formulaic, right? That can be rote memorized. What we should be focusing on are executive function skills and they actually do bring it up not they don't use the right term mike but did you write your the word executive function anywhere in this chapter Uh, i certainly did page 207 is where i have it where do you have it uh i i I, i'm a big underliner okay so i'm just going to read to what i have on page 207 it Mm -hmm. said as we've written elsewhere we believe these patterns would evaporate if we had a way to test traits like resilience resourcefulness or perseverance mm. but of course you can't rank order character traits so instead of focusing on characteristics that matter they're talking about executive function skills by the way they just don't know it okay we turn to narrow skills that can be tested. We're a bit like the drunk who loses his keys at night in some distant location, but looks for them under a street light since it's a place where he can see. What an analogy. I mean, so we're the drunk guy looking for keys underneath the, the, the street light, only because at least there's light there, right? I just, oh, uh, I just, I don't even know. Executive function skills, learning to learn skills um, are what matter. I, I, I refer to them as non-academic skills. When I'm explaining to parents, we have those academic skills. And for parents of young children, everybody wants their child to be ready for kindergarten, ready for school. But when we only look at early academic skills, like rote memorizing letters, numbers, shapes, and colors, learning their days of the week, the months of the year, in that reel I was telling you about, the lady actually sings the song, days of the week. Yep. Days of the week, days of the week, days of the week. And I'm just like, oh, there's Sunday and there's Monday. So we have, you know, two, three and four year olds singing this song. And I'm like, aren't there more important things to be teaching two, three, like two, three and four year olds have had very little experience in the world. Do we really think learning the days of the week um, are where we um, uh, need to to start in teaching children? Uh, And so, yeah, if you just joined us, we're in chapter six uh, on page right now. We're kind of talking about page 207. So it is the executive function skills that they talk about. What do they call them? Characteristics that actually matter. Uh, If Mike and I could um, get all of these authors to just start using the term executive function skills, I'm telling you, it would clarify everything because we have all these authors of all the different books that we've read and they all use different terminology, but they're all talking about the same set of higher level prefrontal cortex skills called executive function skills. Yep. And what really blew my mind was on page 195, they were talking to the CEO. Oh, this is good. Yes. Who I believe created Quizlet. 
So, uh, so, okay. this, so when this book was written, they were probably in the very beginning of Quiz I'm pretty sure it's called Quizlet. It's basically the app where it's the flashcards. Yes, I think you you're right. Okay. And they basically said, uh, he offered the view several studies that show kids don't retain information they study in this flashcard fashion. Right. And this person wrote back to them and said, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. It, it, our goal isn't to help students learn. That's right. Our goal is to help them on tests. Yep. What so page is that? Because I thought I had that circled. That 195. 195, the bottom of the first paragraph. Oh, yes. So oh, that, yes. That right there, if you could get the secretary of education, if you can get the head of education in this country to be brutally honest, if you could, if you could inject right. him with truth serum, that's what he would say. Our goal isn't to help students learn. Well, no. Our goal is to help them on tests. Yep. Yep. That's exactly what it is. They, it's, not about kids, it's not about kids learning and actually attaining skills. It's about them getting grades so they can accurately measure teachers' performance and so that they could perform well on standardized right. tests so the schools can get more funding, so they can be a blue-ribbon school, they right. can be the best school in the area, and they can have the, the, the school with the best, with the most going to prestigious colleges that are on exactly. the U.S. world and ranking reports. But if you go to a place like Finland, every school is exactly the same. They're all blue ribbon schools. Right, right. So there is no need for school choice in Finland because uh, every uh, school is um, within 6%, I think it is, of the other schools. And so parents don't have to move to go look for a better school like we do here in the United States. Um, I was going to find, I had something and I, I just lost, oh, here. Um, oh, I love this on page 206. Today, assessment in our schools has become the bitter enemy of learning. How huge is that? The bitter enemy of learning. It is perverting the school agenda. It is killing curiosity and motivation. It is driving our best teachers from the profession. Assessment in our schools has become the single biggest threat to our nation's long-term national security. It is corroding our nation's education and society in the same way invasive species like snakehead fish drive healthy species from our environment. Whew. Yeah. Um, they, they talk about then at the bottom of 206, the SAT. Mike, do you know what the SAT stands for? I don't think I knew uh, this. The I had, standardized aptitude test, right? You're close. Scholastic aptitude test. Yeah, the scholastic aptitude. Yeah, 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 and yeah. it, um, the, the educational testing service was established in 1948. And the problem is um, they were very racist. And oh, so yeah. they actually get mm -hmm. into the issues regarding standardized testing and how biased they actually are and they are biased for white and asian households and in fact on page 207 um i circled um which groups had the highest scores in reading math and writing so from um indigenous asian american black mexican american puerto rican other latino and white asian american and white were the only ones who scored in the 500s on these tests everybody else was in the low 400s um, and so the problem is we want to say that we're using standardized testing to somehow better our education system. And yet our standardized testing is founded on biased, racist um, uh, agendas that have no business in education. Uh, and so um, we, we just have to um, uh, start over. I mean, there's just something so... Um, Oh, the bell curve. Okay, this is oh, what my, my husband and I at supper tonight, we actually talked about the bell curve because starting on page 208, they say, oh, here's what's interesting, is the SAT was never designed 
to determine whether a student has mastered important or essential skills. It is only designed to generate a bell curve of results. So does anyone have a problem with placing so much emphasis on a test when there, it is never intended to assess essential skills? Exactly. Well, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, everybody thinks that um, test scores are important indicators of academic capability, intelligence, a person's intrinsic worth, parenting skills, a school's, a school's quality, and a nation's competitiveness. But guess what? These scores mean nothing when it comes nothing. to those things. So I, why? I, it's just so hard for me. The problem with the bell curve, and I mean, they go on to say, other than human height, when you look at height of people, that follows a true bell curve, right? Because we know we have really short people, we have really, really tall people, but the majority of people are somewhere in the middle. So if you were to, to plot out the height of human beings, it would be a bell curve. But the author said there's really very little else in the world that actually follows a bell curve, okay? So the bell curve in academics means if we give you a test, um, you're going to have people who get A pluses and you're going to have people who fail, but they want those to be at a minimum. So they design tests so that some people will fail, some will get them all right, but the majority of people will be in the middle, right? And they actually talk in this book about how they absolutely design those tests. And they, 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 are, they spend so much time and so much money making sure that the majority of students fall here, even yeah. though when you look at human intelligence, when you look at human uh, uh, skills, there is no bell curve. It is nope. never um, evenly distributed, but they make it seem as though it is. And look at how powerful this bell curve is, the standard deviation curve is in our society. Yep. It determines whether an early intervention child gets, gets services. services or yep. not. Yep. Think about that. Because yeah. Off of something that doesn't even make sense. Right. And is, right. And is rooted in basic capitalism. Yep. It's yep. It's it is ridiculous. I have worked with so many parents whose kids clearly needed services. They were going to go into elementary school, middle school, and need greater services right. and more money being spent. But because they weren't two standard deviations below the mean, yep. they did not get speech therapy during the most crucial years. Yeah. And, and, and as an early intervention provider, I definitely see that. And the reason we don't want all the kids to qualify is because it costs money. So everything comes down to, well, if it's going to cost the state too much money, then we want to make sure not all kids qualify. So let's make sure that we create a test so that the kids, you know, that not every kid who needs it, they're not bad yep. enough. That's exactly right. Exactly. Dr. Russell Barkley has a great thing in his, so he's, he, Dr. Russell Barkley is like the worldwide leader on ADHD. He has a great slide where he talks about how much money is spent on untreated ADHD. So when it's, eight, it's absolutely, it is in the billions. Yeah. In the yeah. billions. Of, so for students with ADHD. And tell us again, Mike, ADHD is what? A dysfunction of what? A dysfunction of executive function. Exactly. It's That's really EFDD, executive yeah. function development delay. Yeah. So ADHD at its core is a disorder of executive functioning. Right. And yes, you can have executive functioning delays with other disorders, uh -huh. but ADHD, you know, EFDD is EFDD. Yeah. And when students do not get the help they need because they have ADHD, especially in those crucial years, right. especially in this world where play, play is disappearing, yeah. it is costing us billions, billions of, of dollars. dollars. Yep, yep. Terrible. 
And how crazy is this? On page 213, I, this is just one thing that I circled. We bet our bottom dollars that Sudoku and the New York Times Sunday crossword puzzle would be every bit as effective as the SAT verbal test in predicting success in college or career. Because mm -hmm. they have some of the SAT questions in here. Um, so, like, here's one. Um, there is no doubt that Larry is a genuine blank. He excels at telling stories that fascinate his listeners. So now you have to pick what goes in the blank. Braggart, dilettante, pilferer, provocateur, recontour. And so the answer is E, recontour. And they go on to say, when was the last time you used that word in your daily conversation? And if you did, Mike, let's say you decided to use that in conversation. How, I mean, I always say, how weird do we want to make kids? My you know friends I mean? like, would tear me up. Literally. Like, I mean, is that what we're going to do? is teach our high school students to use weird words like dilettante and, and, and braggart. I mean, I'm like, I've never even heard of these words. It's almost like these words were created so there could be an SAT. Oh, that's absolutely. A, that's exactly yep. what it is. Yep. And, it, yep. and the only reason these words are still in existence is because they are so easily measurable. Right. That's exactly what yep. it is. What it's right can or we wrong. measure? Yep. What can we put on a Scantron? Because yep. remember, the SAT is a glorified Scantron test. You're filling it in. You're filling in the bubbles. That's all it is. You take a Scantron. You fill it in. It saves the time. Within seconds, you have the results. So think of all of these grades you fought with your kids over, you fought with your students over, that were basic, multiple choice. I left for a minute. Scantrons. But... Are we going to keep doing Scantrons, man? Oh, I'm going to show you something. And if you've ever heard one of my conferences on play, I bring this up, but I'm going to share this with you guys, okay? And get ready. So when I'm out shopping at the store and I see something ridiculous, I start looking around at fellow shoppers because I'm like, hey, are you like in early childhood education? Anybody here? Because, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I, I got it. So I'm at the store and I see this ridiculous thing. Can you see this? It says test prep workbook, excellent standardized test preparation aligned with common core standards for kindergarten. Okay. Oh so I opened God. this and I'm like, wait, you got to be kidding me because it is a Scantron test. It is a multiple choice test, meaning five-year-olds are supposed to read and then fill in the bubble. So here are some of the um, categories, um, largest and smallest, tallying, addition and subtraction, how many more, base 10, measurement and data, three dimensions. I just, I, 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 our friend Allison Walton's loving this one. That is just that is that's ridiculous. That it blows my mind. And it's and aligned the, with it, Common Core standards. Okay. And the sad this thing is, is the sad hmm. thing is, I guarantee you, in some affluent areas and other areas, those books are mm -hmm. flying off the shelves. Oh, we well, always go to off Costco. The shelves. I don't know if you're a Costco person, but I go to Costco and I love I to look it, at books in New yeah. York. We, in New York, we call it Price Club. Oh, Price Club. Oh, well, that just sounds so fancy. <laughs> so I go to Costco, and I always love to spend some time at the books because they do have a really nice selection of children's books. And, oh, yeah. you know, so I always look. But the, the books that slay me that is almost in everybody's cart is those big, thick, they're like, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, they're like practice books. They're like worksheets where you're just supposed to like, they're make you smarter, faster books. And they're, you know, they're consumable. You write in them and you do all this stuff. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like you just spent $10 on this thing that, that nobody needs. But yet we have convinced because of the cognitive hypothesis, we've convinced parents um, that your kid needs to do more worksheets, right? Oh, you want to see this? This is also from my seminar. So can you see this picture? This is from the USA Today oh, newspaper. Yeah. 
And kidney, when I'm reading, have, I've probably already shown you this, haven't I? The oh, kidney-shaped yeah. table. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pre-kindergarten teacher Angela Tyrone helps Jarrell Love, age four, write a sentence. And I'm always, what, why are four-year-olds sitting at a table writing sentences? Like, have we lost our collective minds? Because that clearly is what has happened. Because nobody who understands developmentally appropriate practice, nobody who understands brain development or child development would ever suggest that a four-year-old sit at a table with a worksheet and a number two pencil and write sentences unbelievable what is going on and th think of the kindergarten students that not only are filling out multiple choice test booklets like that in their free time outside of school outside of school but yeah. all the parents that are sending their kindergartner first grade second grade to kumon and yeah. after school test prep yep. absolutely ridiculous it is that, ridiculous that is that is basically you're basically fostering trauma you're fostering oh. anxiety, anxiety in this student well an anxiety when that i i'm not i'm not a good student i can't do i can't right so that instead of it. a growth mindset mike what are we talking about then the fixed, fixed mindset, mindset right? exactly the fixed Black mindset that i am i'm no good i'm not and i'm okay. seeing it now i'm seeing it now have, having a baby i'm seeing it now it's unbelievable like like being around other people that have babies the number one thing you constantly hear is, oh, she's so smart. She's so smart. Everyone loves to talk about the how brains and yep. how smart yep. a baby is. Like, because okay, our but can, society. But can the baby self-regulate? Can the baby right. self-motivate? Come on now. Right. Can she feed herself? Is she putting <laughs> Cheerios in her mouth? Does she use both go. hands together simultaneously? Is bilateral integration? You know, I mean, when I look at child development, I mean, the last thing I look at is, oh, how smart is he? I mean, I really look at engagement and joint attention and, you know, the ability. Oh, look, he's figured out how to how to make that toy, you know, work. Um, so you look at problem solving skills, right? There's so much to look at. Oh, my God. And look what, look what we have here. COVID kids are falling out of their chairs because they spent kindergarten on the computer. That's and exactly we had, right. We had someone before saying that, uh, I, I believe it was their child, got kicked, a sensory regulation issues, got kicked out of preschool because they had sensory regulation because issues. Because they couldn't sit in a chair. Yeah, yeah. And Why? And, and what's crazy is in one of my favorite books down there that I always get, A Moving Child is a Learning Child, is they explain it in like one sentence where they say the most... Um, the highest form of movement is the ability to sit still. So I want you guys to think about that for a minute because it's not the er first thing to develop. We assume that sitting still is easy. Sitting still is the highest form of movement, okay? And so when we ask little kids to sit still and crisscross applesauce and hands in your lap and don't move and keep your hands to yourself, that's not how little kids are wired. Human nope. beings are wired to move. Human beings are wired to, to um, engage and to act. They're wired to do, not to sit still and watch other people do. So page 214, Mike, I, um, I wrote me too with an exclamation point. So I just want to <laughs> read this little thing. It said, um, in the true confessions department, Tony, who's one of the authors was never a good test taker and scored, scored in the low 500s on his SATs. His Miller analogies test score, which was then the only test required to get into Harvard was similarly mediocre. He was probably admitted because he was already a published author, but it is not clear Oh, but yeah, but it is not clear that he'd be admitted now with the increased and more stringent test requirements. Incidentally, his lowest grade while completing his master's and doctorate at Harvard was an A minus. So much for the predictive validity of low test scores. And I said me too, because um, I didn't score real high on my ACT to get into college. And, um, you know, my GREs or whatever it took to get into grad school were, were they were like the lowest you could be and get in. And, um, I, you know, I, I look at where I am. I mean, I had a 4.0 in grad school. 
school. And I really didn't have to work that hard because I was really well prepared at the University of Iowa in my undergrad, even though I didn't have a great GPA. Um, but if I were to go to school today, I'm pretty sure I would never even make it in. I would never even get into grad school. So I would be one of those people who, you know, is like, well, I, I went to school, wasted all this time because now I can't get into grad school. So now what am I going to do? Um, and yet I look at where I am. I'm a pretty functional member of society. I own my own business. I pay my taxes. And yet if we had looked at only my test scores, you would have said, oh, Carrie, nope. you're not, you're not, you're not no going to make it as a professional. So you need to just go find something else to do. And I've mentioned this before that my um, uh, grad, no, my undergrad professor, um, he basically told me, you're in the wrong field. This field is not for you. You don't have the grades to make it. So you just probably need to start looking. And that made me so angry um, that I worked even harder, you know, and I was like, you are not, you know, you are not telling me because it wasn't that my grades, I was getting kicked out. It was, he just didn't think I was good enough. And, and isn't that unbelievable? That, and you took a test that said what, what career you're supposed to, you're supposed to take. Oh right? yeah. And well, yeah, when I was in middle school, I took a test, one of those where <laughs> like based on your interest, I think that I was supposed test, to be yeah. a, um, a pest control. That's a what I was going to be uh, my number one job because I think because I'm tidy and neat, I'm assuming, I don't know, but it said, yeah, I should be in pest control. Mm. Well, you really think, glad if you think about it, you kind of are pest control. <laughs> you still are pest control. And the pest is the cognitive hypothesis. The, there you go. That is there the you pest. Go. So, 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 so you I, fulfilled your dream. You are a pest control. And, I and am telling the, you. The, the U.S. education system is the pest. It is. It is. There you go. So, Mike, we're almost done. But the last thing that I really think we just can't end this chapter without mentioning is on page 218 at the very bottom. Um, I just want to read this to you. So... Um, there is a school, longtime school board member in Florida who took the 10th grade Florida Comprehensive Assessment Test. Mm -hmm. So he is an adult, okay, who is on the school board, took the 10th grade assessment test. Now, let me tell you about this man. He's a senior executive of a $3 billion company, um, widely respected in his community, and has a bachelor's and two master's degree. He did what every school board member and state and national legislator should do. He took the test that they require their students to pass to graduate, okay? He reports that he guessed on every math question and only got 10 out of 60 correct. He did better but poorly on the reading, scoring at 62% level. According to this Florida uh, assessment test, he belonged in the remedial program with jeopardized chances of getting even a high school degree. So, I, I mean, again, how can we look at standardized testing as being the be-all, end-all to who's going to be successful in life? Because the most likely to succeed are not the students who have 4.0s and who um, are able to rote memorize and regurgitate. And I love the way the, the authors finished this chapter. Yes. Uh, the very last paragraph is incredibly powerful. U.S. education is failing simply because of the misguided belief that it's imperative to test on a massive scale. To test millions of students every year is expensive in terms of time, money, and opportunity cost, with the goal of rank ordering millions of test takers, billions of test takers, yeah. assessment inevitably gets reduced to dumbed down quizzes with complete disconnect between what's easy to test yep. and what matters. Yep. There you go. We need an education system that cares about the success of our kids and not the success of the standardized test industry. Amen. So, so, so we talk about the we talk about language plus experience equals learning. Well, now we have a head head to head versus. So, what's easy to test 
versus yep. what matters. What matters. What matters. And Mike, Done. as you were reading that, I was showing um, U.S. education is failing because of the misguided belief. And I wrote an arrow and it says, because what is the misguided belief? Cognitive hypothesis. So this it. is what the misguided belief A failed is. Hypothesis. And yeah, it is the failed hypothesis. Failed. But yet, I guarantee you the holidays are coming. And this is I, I, I'm oh, going to try to yeah. do it live this year. I love to go to the toy store, go to the, the aisles at Target or Walmart. And my goal always is to buy the worst toy on the shelf. And I love doing that because there are so many anymore. You, there's hardly any good toys. They're all terrible. And they always Fisher Price will always come out with a new toy for infants, you know, a new baby toy like your daughter's age. They'll come out with some toy and it'll be the best selling Fisher Price toy. And I'm not kidding you, a toy for a baby under 12 months of age, and it will be a button-pushing, battery-operated, cause-and-effect toy that force-feeds letters, numbers, shapes, and colors for like an eight-month-old. That'll be the, the primary toy. And, yeah. and people yeah. buy it because everybody yeah. assumes, well, why would the toy industry make toys that don't matter? Of course this stuff is important. So, um, yeah, we, the, the cognitive hypothesis has failed us for too long, and we uh, – the problem is the stuff that we need to be focusing on isn't easy to track. It's not easy to test. Right. Yeah, and tracking. so, yeah. yeah, that's why we don't work on it because we're like, well, we'll just keep doing what's the definition of insanity. Doing the same doing thing the same over thing. and over again. Exactly. Yeah. And expecting what? Different the same results, results. no yeah. expecting different results i mean that's yeah. the whole thing is oh no we're just gonna every time we get a new president they're like oh no child left behind oh race to the top they all just come up with a new slogan like Terrible. oh every child college ready and so i don't care if you're democrat if you're republican i, I don't it doesn't even matter the point is politicians don't understand brain yep. development politicians both, both sides of the aisle are yep. in the pockets of the standardized testing industry. Yep, because nope. and it said in here, they are yep. a multi-billion dollar yep. industry. So yep. um, the people who write the tests, who make the tests, their pockets are being lined. And don't think that, you know, there isn't money mm -hmm. being made with all the smart boards, like you said, Mike, and all the iPads being bought and all that. So no, teachers can't have a raise. Sorry. Um, yeah. We oh, need yeah. to put all our money um, in, in technology because look, yep. we live in the, in, you know, in the technology era. Yep. And yet we've already said the problem is we're still doing less or listen even yep. with all this technology why why oh but oh but we're gonna we're gonna hire a brand new team of employees to run the school's social media accounts yeah yeah it's it, it's it's ridiculous yeah. and it we're lost all, all we're you lost. people out there who actually bought the book and are reading along with us page 220 what teachers can do yeah is unbelievable it's really powerful. good it and, is and really good we talk about that we talk all the time about chapter chat being a grassroots movement. Yeah. Take yeah. take this page, yep. photocopy it, print it out, type it up yourself. Yep. This is something that teachers need to start doing. If you know a teach, if you work in a school, you know a teacher where the, where the kids are just falling out of their desks. There's, yep. And the teachers burnt out. Have them look at this. And yep. if we page can get our if, if we can get our teachers a grassroots movement thinking about this. Yeah. It, it needs to start from the ground up. It really does. It really does. All right, Mike. So next week is our last chapter of this book, chapter seven. And I am so excited to read this because this has been a really, uh, page 220 is the page that we were talking about that has what teachers can do in the classroom. So chapter seven, I feel like is going to be uh, a shining light because it's called a new vision for education. So oh, yeah. I can't wait to see, I want a plan. I want like focus. I want to know you know, what we can do. So next week we will finish up chapter seven. Mike, I think we need to introduce our fourth book. I think we should. I think Here we should. 
Here it is. It is called the Declarative Language Handbook, and it is super short. So we're probably going to read more than one chapter each week because they're only a few pages long. But it says, using a thoughtful language style to help kids with social learning challenges feel competent, connected, and understood. And it is written by a fellow speech-language pathologist. Linda so. Murphy, who is incredible. Uh, she's done a lot of uh, Instagram lives with my friend Ryan Wexelblatt, the ADHD dude. Uh, Linda is a fellow SLP. There she is right there. Okay. Yep. So, so, so she's a fellow SLP, and she created this a lot for students and families with executive functioning challenges. And I think, I think we're going to learn a lot from this book yep. uh, that, you know, uh, uh, one thing that kind of falls through the cracks for all SLPs, whether you're in school, private practice, whatever, uh, is the parent coaching piece. Yeah. And parents need, one thing that I struggle with is I always forget parents are not experts. Right. And you, you need to really make things as simple and as yeah. easy as possible for them. So two things, two pieces of advice that parents are able to use is number one, no more written checklists. Right. Take, take pictures of them doing what they're supposed to do, print it out and put it all over the house. Uh-huh. Like if like if you have to say 10 times in the morning, go brush your teeth, get a picture of them brushing their teeth, uh-huh. put it all over their room and uh-huh. don't prompt them anymore. Uh-huh. If they have trouble getting out the door in the morning, take a picture of them standing by the door with a backpack on with their uh-huh. lunch ready uh-huh. to go. And that replaces the prompts. And besides that, learning how to use declarative language. I can't in- wait. Instead of directive language. I can't wait to read this. Game changer, an absolute game changer. So I'm I, super I think, excited. I think we should have Linda join us. I think that would be great. You see if you can make that happen. Mike has read this book. I have not. So I am excited uh, because it's going to be fun. And um, I've kind of looked through it a little bit. And I'm like, oh, so I am excited about that. All of these lives are saved on my Instagram page, Carrie Ebert Seminars. If you go to the videos, they are also available. Mike, tell us where they can get them as a podcast. Yep. So you type in education chapter chat. There was one other person that took the name chapter chat. So I added the word education there. Education chapter chat on Spotify and Apple podcasts. You can listen to every single episode. You can listen to every single one we did for how children succeed, for finish lessons (gasps) 2.0. We got them all here. These unbelievable books, game changers. Uh, go go right into there. Listen to all the podcasts. Yep. And it blows my mind the amount of people listening to it on a weekly basis. So awesome. Mike, I just show you a sensation. book. I just got in the mail. Because you know me, I order a book every day. Look at this. I haven't read it yet. I'm excited. Teach Like Finland. And wow. it's 33 simple strategies for joyful classrooms. I just can't even handle it. Somebody, one of my followers recommended it. They said the author is a teacher in the United States who moved to Finland and figured out what teaching is supposed to be like. And so I can't wait. I'm excited. I was going to read this one for fun. But um, isn't that exciting? Because we read Finnish lessons and Finland just has so many phenomenal things going on with their education system. So, uh, Mike, this was awesome. As usual, I uh, am excited. We'll see. Next week is... is Next week is Thanksgiving. Next week is Thanksgiving week. Okay, but Monday we're still good, right? Are you good? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, hey, I, I would not miss this for the world. Awesome. So that'll be perfect because we'll finish up this book then before Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. And then we'll be able to, I think we'll be able to do this book in probably before Christmas. I think we'll make oh, it work because it's definitely. so short. I just don't think it'll take long. So again, Mike, you're the best. I enjoy spending time with you. And to all our followers and listeners, uh, you guys rock. Uh, everybody, we're just so <laughs> excited to be here with you. And we love doing this. So um 
I don't know. I'm just going to sign out from Kansas City. Mike's going to sign out from Philly, and we will see you guys next Monday. Yeah, and thank every single person who came by today spending your Monday with us. All you got to do is spread the word. Let's make, yes. this, let's make this chapter chat. Make this Cali night, Alice Bolden. <laughs> everybody out there, you guys yes. are amazing. Yeah, uh, so this was please, a lot of fun. Love, love all you guys. Please continue to spread the word. Let's get yes. the more and more people we have listening to these chapter chats, the more that we can have go speech into action. That's and, right. Hey, and not only are our, our kids going to thrive, but all of us are going to improve when our kids well, improve. Well, and don't you think, Mike, one of the awesome things about doing this is just the community, you know, and knowing that oh, we're yeah. well supported because it's not just you and I who obviously think this way. We have author after author telling us, you know, this is this is a problem. So we love your feedback. We love your comments. Uh, and we appreciate you spreading the word so we can get more people joining us. So thank you guys yeah. so much. And, and all the DMs and messages we get from you guys afterwards. Those, I read every single one of them, and yep. uh, it's, it's amazing. So thank you for being a part of Chapter Chat, and we're going to be doing this for a long time. Can't wait. All right, take care. <laughs> I'll see you next week, Mike. Yep, have a good one. All right, bye-bye.